Thomas Merton once said, We are already one, but we imagine that we are not. And what we have to recover is our original unity. Welcome to the 99th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we have to strive to live as if we are one with all the people around us, one with all the people around the world. If we manage to do that, we'll truly be bringing about the kingdom of God. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. Some news came out a couple weeks ago that Apple was working on a new iPhone feature to help detect depression and cognitive decline, and that certainly piqued my interest. We'll go to the New York Post for some context. The depression and cognitive decline features would reportedly use extensive personal data collected by sensors on Apple's devices, like iPhones and Apple Watches, including information about the user's sleep patterns, physical activity, typing behavior, and more. Apple is reportedly working on the effort alongside researchers from the University of California, Los Angeles, who are studying stress, anxiety, and depression. A 2019 study from researchers at the University of Arizona found that smartphone dependency among 18 to 20-year-olds, quote, predicts higher reports of depression and loneliness, end quote. A 2017 paper from San Diego and Florida State researchers showed that heavy usage of smartphones and social media among teens were associated with higher rates of mental health issues and suicide. Yet Apple Chief Operating Officer Jeff Williams, who heads the company's health unit, has enthusiastically told employees that the company has the potential to help address rising rates of anxiety and depression. So back to me, obviously this news brings mixed feelings, right? It seems like a great idea to utilize something like our smartphones to help detect who may need mental health help and then get them connected to that help in some way. However, there's obviously privacy concerns that can come up here. And the thought that an algorithm would track where I'm going, what I'm doing, and how I'm sleeping and then send me a push notification telling me I'm depressed does seem like a bit much. Obviously, this is still in the developmental stages, so we'll have to see how how it all plays out. But I lean toward two thoughts. Anything that helps screen mental health symptoms and offer easily accessible services to people is potentially a good thing. And second, one of the best things we can do for our mild to moderate mental health symptoms is to put our phones down and get outside, walking in nature, paying attention to the present moment around us. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Giles. Born in 650 in Athens, Giles lived near the mouth of the Rhone River. With a little help from Wikipedia, we learn the story that he was a Greek, the son of King Theodore and Queen Pelagia of Athens. He withdrew deep into the forest near Nimes, where he spent uh, many years in the greatest solitude, his sole companion being a deer who in some stories sustained him on her milk. Giles ate a vegetarian diet and was happy in his solitude, but his retreat was finally discovered by the king's hunters who had pursued the deer 
to its place of refuge. An arrow shot at the deer and wounded the saint instead, who afterward became a patron of the physically disabled. And so there you have it, a saint who is counted among the 14 holy helpers popular in the medieval period, who we can reach out to today in prayer for all our sisters and brothers with physical disabilities and for changes in our church and our world to help include those with physical disabilities in everything we do. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. My Lord and my God, I offer up to you my petition in union with the passion and death of Jesus Christ, your Son, together with the merits of his Immaculate and Blessed Mother, Mary Ever-Virgin, and of all the saints, particularly with those of the Holy Helper, St. Giles, in whose honor I make this prayer. Look down upon me, merciful Lord, grant me your grace and your love, and graciously hear my prayer. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. Looking back at my childhood and my military kid friends, I feel like we all really could have used therapy and mental health support. Moving every few years, one or both parents leaving regularly to fight in a war and not knowing if they would come back, having to support the parent at home more than most kids because there isn't another parent, and dealing with a parent who has PTSD. Those are just some of the few issues that many of us have had to face. Any advice for families in the military? Well, let's start by joining together in prayer for Anonymous and every child and family associated with the military for times of peace in this world, times of peace in their hearts, and support for all they go through. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First of all, I always want to make sure to thank everyone who has sacrificed for our country in this way, both those adults who served and the spouse and children and families who had to sacrifice as well in uh, the manner that you mentioned in your question. There are so many difficult things wrapped up in a life like the one you described, and 100%, we need a robust support system for the mental health of all to help ensure good mental health and wellness throughout such a trying experience. There's a wonderful website called deploymentpsych.org that we're going to look to here. Resiliency factors are those attributes that have been found to promote healthy functioning during deployments. Nurturing and promoting these characteristics can help families decrease their level of difficulty during a deployment. First is family readiness. Preparedness for separation on both a practical and emotional level is a primary predictor of successful coping during deployment. Next is active coping, a willingness to engage in active coping like emailing, sending letters, staying busy, has been found to function as a mediator for stress. Social support is next. The more families are able to connect to sources of social support, the better they are able to manage the stressfulness of a deployment separation. Finally, optimism, self-reliance, flexible gender roles. These characteristics are all predictive of successful coping during a deployment. And now let's look at how to best cope with deployment. So ways of coping during this stage include strengthening the support system, keeping busy and staying active and making plans to break up time, a useful technique to prevent feeling overwhelmed, 
Children need consistency and routine as well as individual attention from the non-deployed parent. It's also important, however, that newly single parents have alone time without their children in order to recharge. As the homecoming nears, it's important for spouses to discuss plans and expectations about what the reunion will look like, like a big party versus a quiet celebration, in order to avoid potential hurt feelings and disappointments. There's so much here that requires so much support to encourage healthy development and reactions to such a stressful situation. So let's remember that it's always an option to reach out for therapy, for support groups related to this experience, and other means of professional help to navigate all the feelings and emotions that surely come along. Talia is up next. Any advice for teachers just trying not to get burned out? I'm a few weeks into my first ever school year and I'm physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. Let's join together in prayer for teachers, for their health and well-being, and for the students they serve. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for your dedication to teaching. It's one of the most important jobs out there, and it's such a blessing that you've answered the call to be this important person in the lives of so many children. Of course, with that joy and importance comes a lot of stress and exhaustion, as you mentioned. Kids are tough. Teaching kids is a serious challenge, and sometimes it can be hard to see that it's all worth it when it's been a tough day, week, or school year. We're going to look to ProdigyGame.com for some thoughts on how to cope with this exhaustion and trying not to burn out. First, talk about teacher burnout. Sit down with a loved one, video call a friend, or go for a tea or a coffee with a trusted colleague. If you can talk, talk to someone about their own long-term teaching experiences. Um, They'll be able to better understand and empathize with what you're feeling. The key is to start talking. Get it all out. Rant, laugh, cry. Don't hold anything back. The more you choose to withhold, the more your feelings of stress and frustration will percolate and bubble over into your next teaching day. Number two, practice self-care. It might sound corny, but it works. Self-care routines can help you prioritize your own health. Set some time aside on the weekend or in the evening to do something that benefits you physically or mentally. What relaxes and refreshes you? Some ideas might include meditation, a quick morning morning yoga routine, taking a walk and experiencing nature, reading a chapter of your favorite book. Self-care can even be as easy as taking a deep breath. Number three, know when to take a break. When you start feeling teacher burnout, step away from it. Leave your work at work. The thoughts of grading, curriculum planning, field trip permission forms, responding to parents' emails, report cards to fill out, the list goes on and on. Instead of working around the clock, try this. Pull out a pad of paper and write down everything that needs to be done over the next two days. Once your list is complete, choose the top three tasks. These are the must-do tasks for tomorrow that will make the day more manageable. Now that you've figured out how to make the next two days easier, let go of your work and prioritize yourself for the rest of the night. Make a delicious dinner, read your current book, watch your favorite Netflix series, or get to sleep early. Number four, plan for community. Preventing teacher burnout doesn't just mean self-regulation. The same study mentioned above can also found co-regulation. 
helps reduce burnout symptoms like cynicism and dissociation. Co-regulation or building a professional and personal community looks different for everyone, but what is constant is having a support system in place where you can turn for professional advice or emotional support. Number five, find out what actually went wrong. So you had a bad day, it happens. A bad day can feel all-encompassing, but have you ever stopped to think about why it was a bad day? If it was just a single, possibly small event that triggered your bad day, maybe you're more in control than you thought. When things don't go as we expected, it can negatively affect everything else we do, even when there's no real reason for them to. Once you're able to pinpoint the event that unfortunately ruined your day, you may come to find nothing or very little about your day was actually that bad. Number six, try to put things in perspective. Teaching and any job really can consume you if you aren't careful. It can become unhealthy when you start having thoughts of quitting or your mental health takes a back seat. The unique thing about teaching is that you're so much more than just a teacher. You're a parent, a friend, a spouse, a student, an explorer. You can fill in the blanks. The point is there are relationships and other areas of life that begin to fade if you don't take care of yourself. And what's life without those? Number seven, ask for help when you need it. If you're feeling any of the symptoms of burnout, it might be time to reach out for support. Try visiting your family doctor, reaching out to a trusted friend or colleague, or accessing resources through your school's employee assistance program if available. And of course, know that we'll be praying for you. A different anonymous wraps us up. Can you talk about red flags in therapy? After being away from my first therapist that I spent almost two years seeing, I now am realizing that things he said and did were wrong. I feel like I need therapy just to get over bad therapy. Well, let's start by praying for everyone engaging in therapy that their experience may be a good one, focused on wellness, and one that helps them make progress toward their goals. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. I'm so sorry to hear that your therapist said and did things that were wrong. It sucks to hear about therapists who aren't helpful or even worse, are actively harmful. I would first say this, trust your gut. Always trust yourself. If something happening or being said in therapy seems off to you, trust that instinct and either A, bring it up with a therapist or B, switch to a different therapist if you don't think it'll be beneficial bringing it up. You have to trust yourself. Of course, as you mentioned, sometimes we don't realize that something wasn't quite right until much later and that can really hurt. It can lead not only to negative feelings about the experience and anger toward the therapist, but it can also leave us feeling bad about ourselves like we should have known better. But let me be clear, you are not to blame for a therapist saying or doing things that aren't helpful. It isn't your fault. We'll have a look at psychology today to explore some of the red flags you asked about. Even the best therapists aren't perfect, and effective therapy won't always be easy or pleasant. But unfortunately, there are some therapists who are unqualified or simply bad at their job. If a therapist talks excessively about themselves or overly discloses personal information or cannot accept constructive criticism or refuses to discuss what the process will be like and what kind of progress can be reasonably expected, they are likely not the best choice for most clients. Other warning signs include being judgmental or critical of the client's choices or lifestyle. 
appearing bored or distracted during sessions, treating the client as emotionally or intellectually inferior, or seeming easily overwhelmed or upset by the information the client discloses. Please know that we'll be praying for you as you move on to a new therapist for peace in your heart and mental and emotional well-being. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.